Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of NJ Voices. I'm Vincent Salomino. And I'm Marielle Dodato. Thanks for being with us today. We're really excited for this episode because today we're joined by our first guest ever, noted author and historian Joseph Bilby, who's authored or edited 22 books ranging from military history to the history of New Jersey. Also the 2018 Richard J. Hughes Award recipient for contributions to New Jersey history. Joe, welcome. Thank you. And uh, we're recording today on Veterans Day, so thank you for your service, Joe. Oh, thank you again. Um, So Joe is the author of The Rise and Fall of the Ku Klux Klan in New Jersey, uh, along with a gentleman named Harry Ziegler. And today we're going to talk about the rise and fall of the Ku Klux Klan here in the Garden State. Yeah, so I figured we would just start right at the beginning. Um, for, I actually didn't know this until I read your book. There was apparently two Ku Klux Klan movements, the first one being, you know, the initial rise of the movement, but then they experienced kind of a downfall from what I understand. <clears throat> and then after the Upbirth of a Nation came out, um, people seemed to be galvanized to, to create a second movement. And this is kind of where the New Jersey Ku Klux Klan uh, comes into play. So okay, can you... Talk a little bit about Yeah, the, the, the first Ku Klux Klan was a, a result of uh, the Civil War and the Reconstruction that followed it. And uh, white people in the South who wanted to return to the same social and economic order they had before the war, uh, minus actual legal slavery, uh, went about trying to terrorize black people into not voting and to, uh, the, and to take, terrorize white people as well who, had, who were trying to help them. Uh, and eventually, President Grant called in the army, and uh, the, uh, the the Klan was suppressed, and it went away in the 18, late 1870s. Now, a guy wrote a book called The Klansman, and then out of that came the first major movie, uh, and it was Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation was... Uh, had uh, large battle scenes, and it was a first in many ways... But it also portrayed the Klan as saviors of the white people, especially white women of the South, from these horrid black people. Uh, many of the, of course, I think all of the the actors who play, uh, played black people in the movie were actually white people in blackface. But at any rate, this um, this uh, movie swept the nation, uh, and it inspired uh, um, their duel, uh, uh, who sold memberships in. Uh, fraternal organizations named William Simmons, and he reconstituted the Klan as a fraternal organization, but it's still believed in, of course, white supremacy, and uh, that was uh, the new Klan, and eventually, with the aid of some PR people, it spread all across the country and even into two Canadian provinces. I I know that everyone thinks of the Ku Klux Klan, we think about their racism, Mm. but there was also a healthy dose of uh, anti-Catholicism and and anti-Semitism. Can you talk about that? <clears throat> yes. The uh, When they, they started sending recruiters out to the different states from Klan headquarters in Atlanta, they said, find out what makes the people in a particular state um, nervous or angry or apprehensive. And in many states it was um, the uh, immigration. Uh, people who didn't speak English, the immigrants wave that came from the 1880s into 1920, and also, um, people thought that Catholics were trying to take over the country, uh, aided by the Jews who were going to take over the economy. 
So these things uh, <clears throat> had spread, and they, that created a welcome audience for the Klan. Also, it was a, an area of social dysfunction. You had prohibition. You had uh, uh, women voting. Now you had uh, all kinds of different things. Uh, World War One had been unsatisfactory to many people. The government had spied on people in World War One, and they had also provided an enormous amount of propaganda, much of which was fictitious. So you had a, 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 a social turmoil, and this was what the era that the Klan entered on. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the Ku Klux Klan even had a movement in New Jersey because we're one of the most diverse states in the country, and I assume that wasn't terribly different back in the early 1900s. I mean, there was a lot of immigration. We're right near the shore. Um, so how could something like this have happened? In 1920, when they did the census, 20% of the people in New Jersey were born in another country, and that didn't include their children. They were mostly in urban areas. Many of them, because it's a second wave of immigration, they spoke Italian or they spoke Russian uh, or Yiddish or whatever, and um, these people were in the cities. Now, the rural areas, some of these people were apprehensive, and, uh, of course, most of these immigrants were Catholics or Jews. Uh, in matter of fact, in Patterson... You had a lot of anarchistic Italian uh, silk workers who had been actually imported. And they, that one of them bought a gun in Patterson, went back to Italy and shot the king in the early 20th century. So uh, there, was, there was a lot of, a lot of turmoil going on. Also the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. You know, the, this was another thing that added to the mix. What year would you peg the Ku Klux Klan arriving in New Jersey? I would say 1921. Okay. Uh, it's re it's formed again by Simmons down in Atlanta in 1915, but it doesn't really go very far until he picks these PR people, the Southern Publicity Association, and they initiate what is basically a pyramid scheme of recruiting, where a recruiter who's a clegal goes to a state, he, he uh, enrolls someone for $10, he gets $2, the next guy gets $2 all the way up. And you got to buy your official uh, Klan robes from the Klan, and they have a place in Atlanta that makes them. Do we have an accurate number of, of where they were at their height or their low? We never do. Uh, one historian has uh, claimed uh, that there were 60,000 Klan members in New Jersey. That is patently false. And even he admits that he used Klan figures and he guessed at some stuff. We never really know. I, would, I wouldn't even guesstimate, but it's nowhere near 60,000, maybe 10, 12, 15. When we think about the Klan, maybe it's because of popular movies mm. and books, uh, we tend to think of the Klan as being violent. And if you dig a little bit deeper into history outside of New Jersey, yeah. you see that they have influence in politics and government uh, in states like Indiana. Mm -hmm. Was what was the case of the, what was the influence of the Klan in New Jersey in the 1920s? Okay, they were certainly made themselves evident, and they were they they did a lot of PR because uh, the guy who became the Grand Dragon was actually a his first occupation was as a vaudevillian, but. Um, it, in the South, of course, you had a lot more violence, and even in Indiana, where the governor, Republican governor, was a Klansman. In New Jersey, both political parties stayed away from the Klan because they knew many of their voters were, were immigrants or the children of immigrants or Catholics or Jewish. And so only in a very local level do you have politics affected, and in certain rural areas. One of the things that I appreciated about your book, so I'm 
currently I'm studying at Rutgers, mm-hmm. women in politics, gender and policy. Um, you don't shy away from mentioning the involvement of women. And I appreciated that for two reasons. One, because women kind of tend to be left out of, mm. of canon history, I think. But two, I think a lot of people think of the Ku Klux Klan as, as only male. And while I think it was majority male and there was a lot of sexism and male supremacy going on within, within the organization, women were not innocent either. And so one of the things that I found very interesting was that Margaret Sanger actually spoke to the Wall Township uh, chapter of the KKK. And so for those who don't know, Margaret Sanger was one of the founders of Planned Parenthood and, and a very strong advocate for women in reproductive rights. Uh, so can you, can you talk about what, what happened back then? Uh, yes, Mar- Margaret Sanger, uh, and uh, some some people have said she was a member of the Klan, which is absurd. Uh, she was invited to, to address women at the Klan headquarters, which was in Wall Township at the time, and it was a very labyrinthine process. She took the train down to Belmar, and she got off, and she had to wait in a restaurant, and some guy picked her up, and they went down some one road, then another road, and they came out to the to the Klan headquarters um, in Wall, and she addressed these people. She said it was an interesting experience. Now, the Klan was really not into birth control uh, per se because they wanted, they felt that America was being outnumbered by the immigrants. Uh, and uh, But then she gave the talk, and she went on to another uh, interview in Trenton. But it was never mentioned anywhere except in her autobiography. Uh, that I can see. So, uh, but the clan women, um, Leah Bell, which was uh, Mr. Bell's, the Grand Dragon's wife, uh, she ran what was originally called the Lotties, the uh, Ladies of the Invisible Empire, and later became known as the Camellia with a K. And they stressed, she stressed that the, the role of women is motherhood and purity, and uh, one of the things of the clan, one of the objectives is to protect well, white women, uh, and um, and that uh, they had a certain role to, to fulfill in society, and that role was noble. You mentioned uh, Leah Bell, and you mentioned, uh, you referred to Arthur Bell, so these are two vaudeville performers who end up at the, the apex okay. of whatever the Klan was in New Jersey during that time. They were the head of it. Can you talk more about their their rise and their fall? Uh, yes. Uh, 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 some histories in the past have, have said that, that Arthur Bell was a uh, was an attorney, far from the case. I mean, I looked him up and he went to two years of high school. But he was a vaudeville entertainer, as was his wife, and they had a traveling song, dance, and ventriloquism act, if you can imagine that. And uh, they actually had been entertainers for the Army in World War One, And after the war, uh, Arthur got somehow involved to be a Klegel, uh, which is a recruiter, came to New Jersey. He was originally not from here. And uh, he is the guy who built the Klan in New Jersey. He would go to places that were fertile ground, like rural areas, Somerset County and Monmouth and Ocean Counties, although he himself lived in Bloomfield. Uh, and Leah became the head of the ladies of the clan, or the Lotties, or the Camellia, or whatever you want to call it. And um, they actually built the clan. And they were PR, good PR people, too. He would give rallies, and, and, and he would invite the press and take photographs. And, and some of the people, many of the people uh, that appeared at his uh, events were actually from out of state. So um, it, was, uh, it was a PR exercise. Yeah, so I... 
what I found really interesting, I mean, we're recording this in Monmouth County, mm. and Monmouth County seemed to be kind of a hotbed for a lot of KKK mm. activity. So there was a conclave, from what I imagine, right in Long Branch, which is not far from here at all. Yeah. And was that at, did I understand it correctly, it was at the site of Monmouth Park, where that is today? Yes, uh, it, it was um, where Monmouth Park is today. Now, the Klan, or through middlemen, purchased that area uh, from uh, a family in New York, which was oddly enough Jewish. Mm. And uh, the guy who actually owned it, uh, the, the guy who had inherited it, he's classified in the will, and I checked this out in uh, Monmouth County Records, as a lunatic. But at any rate, uh, they established a headquarters there, and then they decided to hold this conclave with Klansmen from three or four different states, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, Delaware, and then have a massive march down Broadway in Long Branch. And that's probably the most well-known Klan event of the era. Uh, again, this was very exaggerated. They said there were going to be 80,000 people there. Well, maybe about 30,000 wandered through looking at the exhibits they had. And then the march down Broadway, first it was going to be 20,000, then it was 10,000 and 80,000. And then the police chief, uh, chief of police of Long Branch uh, said that there were 3,200 people. And remember, these people are not all from New Jersey either, although there were floats from different, you know, New Jersey uh, uh, claverns or local clans. Uh, and, uh, but it was, it was quite, a, quite an event, and uh, uh, it really scared the black people in the Long Branch and Jewish people and, and, and Catholics to a degree. Uh, but it was... Um, after that, the, the the clan lost the property in Long Branch because they couldn't pay the mortgage, and then they moved to Wall Township. Wall Township, the the site of the old Marconi operation. Can you talk about the history of today's Camp Evans? Yes, uh, it was um, uh, originally built a hotel there and some ancillary uh, uh, buildings for Marconi's uh, overseas transmissions, and then it was sold to. Uh, another company, and then the Klan bought it in, in 25, I believe. Again, it was front men from Asbury Park and Point Pleasant. But these guys bought it as a business uh, because they also bought a lot of land with it that came with it, and then they sold lots. Of course, you had to be a certain person to buy the lot, but uh, it was an investment. And uh, But they used the Wall Township location to make themselves look like a a patriotic organization. They held circuses there. They had revival meetings. They invited everybody. Uh, although they, they, if you had your hood on, you weren't supposed to lift it. Uh, and um, they put a huge electric cross up on, and you could see it from Neptune across the Shark River Inlet. And that lasted for about three or four years. And then they, they ended up losing the property? Or? Yeah, they lost the property because the people who actually bought it said, well, this is an investment. And the national clan and state clan, because it was state headquarters, said, oh, no, that belongs to us. The locals brought them to court. And it went to court in New Jersey, and it went to federal court. And eventually, the courts decided, and one judge said, you can't base a claim on something someone said to someone at some time. And um, the, they lost. But at any rate, they had to leave. And Bell had to leave his nice, comfortable cottage on the Shark River and go to Belmar and headquarter above a garage. The investors, from what I read in the book, the, the investment turns yeah. out to be a poor one because of the Great Depression. But then Camp Evans, or what we know today as Camp yeah. Evans, ends up 
on the cutting edge of some really interesting uh, defense yeah. system work. Uh, yes, they uh, they did uh, some very uh, interesting radar uh, research there. And it was a viable substation of Fort Monmouth for some time until Fort Monmouth was closed. And now it's the site of the InfoAge uh, History and Science Museum, which is ironic considering what it was back in the 20s. Throughout the book, the Klan has an extreme tendency to exaggerate their numbers, their power, mm -hmm. uh, to the extent that they <laughs> end up getting kicked out of the National mm -hmm. Klan yeah. to some extent. Um, and so do you think this had an influence on the way that they're perceived now, or...? Uh, perhaps. Uh, they, they, um, when the, after the Point Pleasant Clavern was kicked out, then Bell suddenly resigns. Uh, he had been the prime, one of the prime guys defending the National Klan's ownership of the Wall Township property, but as we look at the newspapers, we see that two months later, Leah divorces him, and she doesn't disclose why. But two months after that, he marries his secretary. So we can assume that the Klan, this paragon of moral virtue, uh, just decided, well, better we don't have this guy anymore. But with him gone, the Klan really collapses and membership declines. There are other scandals, too. There's a, a, a minister who's a Klegel Methodist minister from Trenton. He runs away with the girl next door and some Klan money. There's the national schedule of the... Uh, national um, uh, scandal of the uh, the um, the Grand Dragon of Indiana who who uh, assaults a woman and uh, she dies and he's charged with murder and these things begin to really uh, eat away at the Klan nationwide as well as in New Jersey. To separate myth from actual fact, and this is what I think is great about this book, the Klan in New Jersey was not the violent clan that we might summon in our imagination. Uh, do we have any evidence of violent acts by the clan? No, we don't. And even a, a historian of Catholics in New Jersey says that the clan was the clan was not really violent. They were just threatening. And that's what they did. They would burn crosses on people's lawns, and uh, they would uh, issue these proclamations about how the Klan is unhappy with, you know, real Americans in the Klan are unhappy with such and such or this and such. And they would endorse certain political candidates, and uh, but they never really committed violence. There was more violence p perpetrated against the Klan. The Perth Amboy incident, where they seemed to hold this rally, and again, they were exaggerating their numbers, exaggerating their support. And when they showed up, they were met with twice the amount of protesters, many of which were Catholic, um, Italian, Jewish, from what I understand, yeah. and basically just ran them out of town, and to the point where the police brought them inside, brought the remaining clan members who didn't get the hell beat out of them yet. They brought them inside the police headquarters, tried to hide them overnight. And then when they went to sneak them out in the morning, there were protesters still waiting outside with a point to prove. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. That was, uh, that was the biggest one. There was, a, there was also, there were also smaller incidents of egg throwing and tomato throwing. But when 200 Klansmen went up from Monmouth County to recruit in, of all places, Perth Amboy, a largely immigrant city, um, they were met by, um, some say, up to 15,000 uh, demonstrators who stoned the building and then rushed it and beat a lot of them up. There's even one instance of a, 
uh, a Klansman being stuffed down a sewer by a demonstrator, and uh, a cop says to the uh, demonstrator, no, no, you can't do that, it's murder. And the guy says, oh, okay, and he lets him go. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, they run out of town. When they leave town, they sh- some of them shout back at the, the demonstrators, we'll be back with 10,000 more. And then the, the guys in the mob yell, yeah, and we'll have 20,000 here to greet you. I was struck by how matter-of-fact the newspapers reported the creation of the Klan in New Jersey and then its existence, and, and it's almost like they're reprinting press releases from Bell. Uh, can you speak to why was the reaction of the news like that? Did anybody stand up and say this is not, this shouldn't happen in New Jersey? There, there were some instances. Um, uh, there was a black veterans organization in Trenton and a, a black church in uh, in central New Jersey, maybe New Brunswick, I think, and and they uh, they said this is not a good thing. Now most people had been conditioned by seeing the movie uh, Birth of a Nation to think that it wasn't that big a bad deal, and the newspapers were just sort of puzzled by it, and they just reported it as you know this is another fraternal organization, but as time went by, uh, they began to take another stance and. Uh, 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 papers, especially the ones in the urban areas, uh, uh, deliberately um, attacked the Klan or tried to minimize them or uh, certainly didn't flatter them. The Asbury Park Press had a comic strip about yes. it, correct? Yeah. yeah, the Asbury Park Press had it in the 20s. Uh, it was a cartoon uh, about what to do with your hood if you're no longer in the Klan. And some of the suggestions were to use it to keep mosquitoes off in the summer or as cover for your firearms and your fireplace and, uh, and things like that. So, Vincent, you mentioned in other parts of the country the KKK having quite an influence on politics. In New Jersey, I think um, they didn't really have the same effect. I believe it was the Trenton Commissioner that responded to one of a potential rally saying, we're either going to arrest them or shoot them. Uh, but there were a few politicians that, that were more open to the idea of, of the KKK here in New Jersey. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, and I, I think it was pretty much mining for votes. Uh, both parties on the state and national level from New Jersey, when I say national, I mean New Jersey senators and congressmen, thought they were appalling, or said they did anyway, and, and uh, from both parties. And the locals, though, if you thought there was mi- votes to be mined, uh, Basil Bruno from Long Branch was one interesting example and Basil's parents were Italian immigrants, but he converted to Methodism, and he uh, joined, um, we think he's in the Klan. They never officially announced it, but he, he introduces Klan bills in the legislature for teaching the Bible in public schools, which don't get anywhere. And, um, and then he runs for sheriff, and as he runs for sheriff, he's decisively defeated, even though he claimed he was going to shut down all the speakeasy roadhouses. And the Asbury Park Press comments on it, and they say, well, we, I, we guess the Klan's influence is fading because Basil got thumped when he, when he ran for sheriff. He was decisively defeated. And uh, there were a few in Bergen County as well, uh, anywhere where the Klan appeared to have a, a, a local base. It was a local politician who would run. Uh, Arthur Bell invited all the Republican candidates for office to come to, his, uh, to a hotel in Newark where he and his friends would examine them for their, quote, Americanism, and none showed up. And Senator Kane, who is the grandfather of, of our governor, Kane, recent Governor Kane, 
I said, I, I have nothing to do with those people. Why should I go there? And, uh, and, he, uh, and, and that, the response was the same for most other politicians. Was the Klan a Democratic or Republican organization? Nationwide, it tended to be Democratic in the South and Republican in the North. As I mentioned, the, the uh, governor of Indiana was a Republican, and he was a Klansman. And, and when would you say that the, the turn happens, when people, people begin to make jokes about the Klan or condemn the I would, Klan? I'd say in New Jersey it's early on, but uh, certainly by 1928, uh, and the Klan membership drops dramatically and, uh, in this state. Uh, and then the Depression comes, and people have other things on their mind. Uh, and, of course, the scandals that occurred. And, and so and, and you have, uh, they say that uh, almost half of the people in New Jersey in 1930 were either born in another country or had at least one parent born in another country, which would have included my mother, whose parents were born in Ireland. So uh, this was, becomes less and less receptive to the Klan. But a lot of people joined it just for local politics or to feel important or, yeah. And then when it started to get nasty, they just got out right away. And, and the, it seems like the nail in the coffin of the Klan occurs shortly before World War II. Yes. The Klan is about done by then. Uh, there were, there have been another group called the white band, uh, that, uh, Bell after he'd been kicked out, attached himself to And then he comes back again as a Klansman in 1939, 40 and proposes a meeting, um, with a like-minded organization, the German-American Bund, at their camp up in uh, Sussex County. And that is the final blow, really. Uh, and the Congressional Committee comes up from Washington to Newark, and they, they interview them, and they say, is that a good idea? And he says, no, I don't think so. And then uh, the what's the Klan, national Klan, what's left of it, suspends itself for the war. And the final act, legally is in 1946 when Walter Edge, or Wally as they call him, was governor and he had been a senator back in the 20s and the Klan had primaried him unsuccessfully uh, because he was against prohibition. So in 1946, the guy down in Atlanta says, well, we're coming back. And Wally calls in his attorney general and says, well, I don't want these guys back again. The attorney general says, well, you know, they have corporate papers. So in 1923, so he says, get rid of them. So uh, the attorney general brings the corporate papers to the Supreme Court, and they kick it out. And that's pretty much the end, although Be- uh, Bell is interviewed, actually, in, in up in Bluefield, where I believe he's running a luncheonette at the time. And he says, well, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. He said, maybe we can have a new clan that will let in Catholics and Jews, and we can have a Negro auxiliary. We're seeing a lot of white supremacist organizations and rallies and anti-immigrant and anti-people of color sentiment sentiments rise up again uh, we're having conversations of is it right to punch a nazi as if this this has never happened before and i mean especially going back to the perth amboy incident where it, it wasn't just punching a nazi it was just beating the hell out of <laughs> people who who threatened the lives of, of good people good americans um who just weren't considered to be good or or American because of their religion or their race. And uh, my question, I think, is could, could this happen again here? Well, I would certainly hope not. Uh, I don't see a national uh, a national organization similar to the Klan rising again. I see, unfortunately, a lot of smaller groups 
uh, of outliers, uh, and especially in other states, and I don't think so much in New Jersey, but uh, hopefully we won't see that. And I think that if we do see some kind of a national organization try to form, uh, people will be aware of what happened once before and we'll get rid of it. But I'm, I'm glad you talked about that awareness because for me, one of the great services that Mr. Ziegler and you do in this mm. book is is to take us, to give us the history that for me was wrapped up in myth. And it seems like collectively, whether it was historians in New Jersey or or just culturally, we've forgotten what, what our experience was in New Jersey with the Klan. And so for us to, to remember that history so that we don't repeat the same mistakes, we also have to acknowledge that this did happen in the Garden State. Uh, yes, it was uh, quite deliberate, I believe. Uh, and by 1940, people, the Jersey um, WPA guidebook mentions a Klan in one sentence in the entire book and never mentions that it was in New Jersey. And other books do, do the same later on. Uh, occasionally you see a newspaper column. I saw one from the Archbishop Park Press. It said it can happen here. Um, but largely people are totally ignorant of what happened. And it isn't their fault either because the people in the press and, and historians have not done the job they should have done. Well, Joe, thank you very much for talking with us about the Klan, the rise and fall in New Jersey. Yeah, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I will tell you, I've never been more proud to be the granddaughter of Italian immigrants or, or a citizen of New Jersey after reading this book. So thank you for everything you've done to bring light to this issue. Okay, thank you very much for having me. And so the book is The Rise and Fall of the Ku Klux Klan in New Jersey by Joseph G. Bilby, our guest, and Harry Ziegler. And it's available on Amazon or in bookstores from History Press. So Vince and I were debating on what to discuss for our next episode. And then I went and got groped on election night. So we're going to take this opportunity to discuss things that like that that go on and oftentimes worse in politics uh, for women, mostly, but not just women. And so we hope you tune in. It's going to be an important conversation. In the meantime, if you'd like to download or subscribe to NJ Voices, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or just ask your smart speaker to play NJ Voices. My name is Marielle Dodato. And I'm Vincent Salomino. Thanks for listening.